Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. With one week to go in the Bundesliga season, the main focus of today's podcast will be how did we get to this point and whether or not we'll actually be able to close it out. In our After 90 Minutes segment, we will obviously go over the... Uh, missed opportunity this weekend in East Germany against Leipzig. Then after that in Der Ausblick, we look ahead to this weekend where hopefully we will clinch our seventh title in a row uh, at the hands of the team that defeated us in the Pokal last year. Then we go into our newsroom segment, breaking down three stories. And then finally, an hour before we go segment, we talk about which winger we think that Bayern Munich should bring in this summer. But before we get into that, joining me today, as always, is my co-host and my brother-in-arms for this project, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how was your weekend? That was a typical weekend for me, Jake. I uh, had a little bit of running around with my kids, carting them out to all of their games and whatnot. Got a chance to watch a lot of the Bundesliga this week, and uh, it was very interesting on a lot of levels to see how everything's going on. On in the league and just seeing what's at stake for next week. I think there are eight teams that are really playing for something. So from a soccer standpoint, it's going to be really exciting over the next week to see how this all develops. I agree. This weekend, I packed my room up and I moved back home. I am officially done with my junior year of college. I saw all of my friends that are a year above me graduate. It was very sad to see, but they're going on to better and brighter things, and I will miss them terribly, but such is life. Uh, so, Chuck, are you ready to go ahead and light this popsicle stand? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we begin this podcast with our segment After 90 Minutes, which looks back on the previous game, and we look to see whether or not there are any lessons to be learned. It was a nil-nil draw at Leipzig. I told you so. Um, I know I got the scoreline wrong, but I did say that it was going to be a draw, and I did say that it was going to not be that this title race was not going to be resolved until the final day. I was very right, and now there is this do or die situation this weekend at the Allianz Arena, which we will obviously go over later. But looking back at this game chuck what were some things that you noticed uh i guess where did Bayern go wrong where could they have easily uh taken advantage of this situation well i mean i think first and foremost the thing that everyone is still talking about is the var decision the var decision with leon goretzka's goal um it was really tough i i must have watched the replay 10 times i've seen the still footage at most, you could argue maybe Robert Lewandowski's hand is offside in an offside position, but I, I don't know. I thought it was a horrible call, and I'm not saying that because we're on a Bayern podcast. Just in general, when you when you go to VAR, the intent is to get the call right, and I think they blew it this time, honestly. Um, but you know that said, Bayern should have done better in the game. I thought Jake that they lacked. Uh, precision in the final third they were very sloppy and there were some very disappointing things with the way that they played in the final third uh you know I love the talent of Serge Gnabry I love the talent of Kingsley Coman 
I'm a little worried about their decision-making at times. I mean, they have great pace and they have great ability. You can't knock that. You can't take that away from them. But at times, they just seem to make the wrong decisions. And when you have those games where Lewandowski and Thomas Mueller, neither of those two were sharp on the day. So when those two are a little off their game, you need those wings to really pick it up and create offense. And I just felt like they just kept making poor decision after poor decision. And it just was not their best game. It's not indicative of the types of uh, talent, um, the type of talent that those two have. So I was very disappointed in that. And like I said, Lewandowski, Mueller, they were just not sharp. And it was not a banner game for those two. So I felt like Bayern left a lot of good opportunities on the field, to say the least. I agree. It looked like a very lackluster game. Uh, There was a lot of possession, at least on Bayern Munich's part, right? 65% to 35%. Uh, they Both teams were pretty even in terms of shots and shots on goal, but just could not convert those opportunities. Looking back at that Goretzka call, there's not much more that can be said about it. Uh, I've seen it. It looks like, like you said, like Lewandowski might barely be offside, but Granted, like we are on a Bayern Munich podcast and we are kind of saying that um, it it looks barely over. Right. So I guess you could call that like technically by definition offside. But is it enough of an offside that Lewandowski would have impeded play and he would have like really made the difference that him being offside would have really made the difference? I personally don't think so. Uh, but then again, that's my opinion and we are on a Byron pod. So that is, that is all I will say further on that. Uh, these two teams play one more time in both teams final game of the season in Berlin for the Deutscher Pokal final. Um, how watching this game and knowing that last time these two teams played, it was a one nil win with the only goal coming very late in the game, Chuck, uh, how do you think this uh, fixture reflects on our potential for the Pokal final? Well, I think if, if you look at the positives from this, uh, Byron completely dominated the midfield, and that was without Javi Martinez. Uh, it was great to see Tiago Alcantara sit back a little deeper and really play like we all know that he can back there. I know it's inside of him to push up and join the rush and to be a part of the offense. But when he sits back, he's just so cool and composed. And he controls play so much. It allowed Leon Goretzka to venture forward and be more aggressive. It really allowed that midfield to get the best out of both of those players. And defensively, it just seems like the back four knows how to play against this Leipzig side. And I think that that's a big key going into the Pokal final. I think that between Hummels and Sula controlling the middle of that defense and with Alaba and Kimmich on the wings, out on the wings at, at the outside back positions, they've really, they're able to contain the speed from Leipzig. And I think they frustrate Leipzig, especially Timo Werner and Yusuf Polson. They really couldn't generate too many great chances. I know that their shots matched up with Bayern's, but... I really didn't feel threatened at any point in that game. I felt like the Bayern back four and the midfield really just dominated play, honestly. So do you think that Bayern will be able to 
pick themselves up and move on from this? And if so, I guess what what's the one thing that you would say Byron really needs to change for that matchup later on? I honestly think they need to make better decisions in the final third. I th- it's funny because you want that balance from the, your front four players there. You want them to be selfish at times, but you also want them to be smart enough to make the right call of when to pass. And I think really that's where they struggled. I mean, Lewandowski has, has never been the most um, sharing player, I guess. But even he made some decisions this this weekend where he probably made an extra pass or or played it back when I thought maybe he could have either made a turn and tried to go to goal himself, or maybe he could have unleashed a quick shot. It, it was just very odd. He was not in sync with Thomas Mueller at all, and I think that that's been a rarity this season. And like we talked about before, the wings just didn't seem to to be um, really working together with those central players. So it was just a, a very disjointed effort. It was disappointing to see, but I do think that those players in those front four positions can put it together and you know, even though they haven't had much success this season against Leipzig scoring, I still think they could put up two or three goals pretty easily in, in the Pokal final. Well, we will have to wait and see for that. And of course, we will be producing an episode of the podcast for that game, even though the Bundesliga season will be over at that point. But that is for later. Uh, we will now move on to our next segment, looking ahead to Eintracht Frankfurt's game when we come back after the break. Welcome back. Now we move on into our segment, Der Ausblick, where we look ahead to the final game of the Bundesliga season this weekend at the Allianz Arena against Niko Kovac's former team, Eintracht Frankfurt. Now, looking at the Bundesliga table right now, Bayern Munich are ahead of Borussia Dortmund by two points. So that means all Bayern Munich needs to do is to win or draw. And if they draw, then they need to hope that Borussia Dortmund doesn't beat Borussia Mönchengladbach 18 to nil. And that way the goal difference will be made up and Bayern Munich will once again be crowned the champions of all of Germany. But they have to go through this very, very tough Eintracht Frankfurt team, which on the surface, when you look at all of the players, should be doing well. However, um, they have not been doing well in their games recently. Their most recent form is lost, draw, lost, draw, draw, and they haven't won a game in the league since April 6th when they beat Schalke. Uh, looking at some statistics for the team, their top scorer is Luka Jovic, who is third in the league with 17 goals. Uh, their assists leader is Filip Kostic with uh, Sebastian Haller right behind him. Uh, Kostic has 10 assists, Haller has 9 assists, uh, and Jovic uh, leads the team with shots with 94, making him 4th best in the league. Uh, They have 404 shots, making them 11th in the league. They have 54 yellow cards tied for 11th with Mainz. They have committed 378 fouls, 10th in the league. They have the third most crosses in the league with 419. They are second most in duels won. They are the league leaders in aerial duels and sprints. However, they cover the fourth least distance, and they are 
dead last in pass completion with 76% pass completion. Their key players are Sebastian Haller and Kostic and Luka Jovic, and their goalkeeper is Kevin Trapp. In the last fixture, uh, it was a 3-0 win away. Uh, Frank Ribery contributed two goals, and Rafinha contributed a goal in garbage time. So looking at this, what would you say the biggest difference between that 3 nothing win and this upcoming final game of the season is? I would, you know, the biggest thing with Eintracht Frankfurt right now is, is they're tired. Um, they spent a lot of energy chasing the Europa League title uh, in which they lost in the semifinals in penalty kicks to Chelsea. Um, and this is a roster that is really not used to that type of schedule filled with English weeks. And I, I think it shows, and it's really show, it's it's really been displayed in their league play over the last month, month and a half, really. Um, they don't look as feisty. Uh, they're not playing as angry. And I think that's key because this is a team that's super aggressive, and they're at their best when they're making you uncomfortable. And that's really how they achieve so much success in the league this year. They're very straightforward. They're not afraid to get right up in someone. And they're fast, and and they've created a lot of havoc. They have some some excellent offensive talent uh, in Luka Jovic and Sebastian Haller. And, and when you think about it, Ante Rebic is only I mean their third option. So, um, and they've got some good complementary pieces. But just overall, they just they look tired now. They look spent, and it's a shame because I, I really do enjoy watching this Frankfurt team. I love the way that they play. I wasn't sure how Addy Hooter would, you know, exactly how he would come in and be able to replace Nico Kovac, but he did a phenomenal job. You know, after they had some embarrassing moments very early in his tenure, he was really able to turn them around, and, and they have been one of the most fun teams to watch this season in the Bundesliga. So given their lack of preparation for this weekend's match in that their league form has dipped as you mentioned and they no longer have anything to play for being knocked out of the Europa League do you think that it's possible that they could come into this game thinking that they have nothing to lose and they might have something to stick to their former coach or do you really just not think that they have it in them whatsoever I I think that they have it in them. They just really, um, you know, they, they really have some things to think about heading into this. Um, when it comes to Kovac, I mean, he obviously knows their weaknesses. And I'm sure that they are fired up to play against him. But, you know, in a way, despite not being, you know, in the Europa League finals, they're still playing for a Champions League spot. I mean, they have 54 points you know, they're currently at sixth in the table and I know they're tired. I know they're spent and they're prob their legs are probably just weary at this stage, but I think the fight inside them, the fire that they've shown all season is going to show, it's going to come back for this weekend. I mean, you have the Kovac factor, you have the fact that everyone wants to beat Bayern and ruin Bayern's season. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. Bayern wears, you know, the, the, you know, they wear the target on their jerseys every week. So you know, I look at it and I think this is a week where Frankfurt's going to be able to regroup and come out with a strong effort against Bayern. But in the end, I'm not sure that they have enough left in the tank to pull out a win. 
it'll be interesting, though. I mean, it's not like they're completely out of it. A loss this week could leave them, you know, as far back as out of even Europa League qualification for next year. So this is going to be a tense week for them, for sure. One thing that I think may be the biggest factor in this is whether or not Manuel Neuer will be back and playing for Bayern Munich and whether or not he will be healthy. He's still recovering from an injury right now. And as you mentioned, Eintracht Frankfurt is a very good team when it comes to making other teams uncomfortable. And Sven Ulreich does not exactly respond in the best way to quickly changing situations and, shall we say, unexpected and unnatural ball movement. If Manuel Neuer is not in for this game, do you think that puts Bayern Munich at a disadvantage? I do. Um, It's an interesting point that you make about Ulreich. I think that he's, he's definitely shown those moments where things can rattle him. And like you said, Frankfurt is one of those teams that will make an effort to really get under his skin. But, you know, at this stage of the season, it's kind of a tough, it's kind of a tough situation for Bayern. You have Neuer, who is this legend who has built up this whole legacy of excellence. And if he's ready, it would be incredibly difficult to just keep him on the sideline, even with being a bit rusty. I think that if he is given the medical clearance to go ahead and play, he'll be in the lineup. But if he's not, I, I mean, I'm confident in Ulreich. It, it's just like you said, it, there's always that possibility that something could rattle him and then he would be prone to one of those mistakes that he's been known to make. So after considering all of that, what do you predict will be the final score for the game this Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So, I mean, we talked a lot about the offensive talent for Frankfurt. But one of the things that I think could come into play and, and will we'll come into play with my prediction on this is how that the, the, the Frankfurt defenders have managed to get under the skin of, of players this year, particularly the first game against Bayern. Um, Evan and Dicka, David Abraham, they are, they're not afraid to mix it up. And I think that that made some of the, the Bayern forwards a little uncomfortable as well. So I don't think that despite Bayern, you know, obviously the motivation that they're going to have to go out and win a league title, I, I, I'm not sure a hundred percent that they're going to be able to contain, um, you know, how Eintracht Frankfurt is going to approach this game. I think it'll be close. I think there are going to be some scary moments where Frankfurt's really going to push the pace. But ultimately, I think Bayern's going to dig down deep, rely on its talent, and uh, you know its superior ability. And I think this will be a, a 3-1 win for Bayern, and they will clinch their seventh consecutive Bundesliga title. I have a bit of a more thrilling and storybook prediction for this Um after Borussia Dortmund scores their 18th goal, I'm kidding. They won't. They won't score that many. I I think maybe that they might not even win that game against Mönchengladbach. That's a very very close game, and I think that one would be really really good. But I think Bayern Munich and Eintracht Frankfurt will be tied um, for most of the game until around the 87th minute when a Kimmich cross to Lewandowski in the box 
uh, puts Bayern Munich ahead 2-1, and then they will win the league after that. I don't think it's going to be that runaway of a game. Uh, I think Eintracht will press. I think they will really come out and try to give it their all because, like I mentioned, they have nothing to really play for. And as a result, they will kind of really stick it to Bayern Munich and maybe possibly it might push them enough to the point where they may not think that it's possible. But I do think that... um, I do think Bayern will win the league again this year. Uh, I just think that it will be a lot closer than we all think that it would be, or at least what we all thought it would be at the very beginning of the year. So with those predictions out of the way, we are going to move on to a break and then after that we will come back and we will take a look into the BFW newsroom. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back. Now we take a look into the BFW newsroom where we will go over three of the most interesting stories that we covered this week on our blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. So the first story we want to talk about concerns the uh, Kovach out saga. The Bayern Munich board have been really wishy-washy, at least in my opinion, about whether or not Niko Kovac will be staying at the club, regardless of how his results turn out. And Karlheim's Romaniga has not really um has not really made it clear about what he wants to do with Kovac. And it's kind of made Kovac a little bit hesitant. He spoke with Sky after the game and said that at the end of the day, there are no uh, job guarantees um, when it comes to any job, period. He said, I don't have a problem with Nico at all. I'm always hearing the word job guarantee. At Bayern Munich, players, management, and coaches must deliver and successfully deliver, and that's true for everyone. But he said that he and Nico have a good relationship and said, quote, I only think that at the end of the day, it's our task to steer the team, the coach, and everyone a bit in the right direction. So hopefully we'll have the Bundesliga trophy in our hands next Saturday. Contrasting with Brazo's quotes to uh, Jochen Breyer this weekend, where he didn't really seem to want to say that a decision had been made on Kovac. They basically went back and forth uh, with Breyer asking, has a decision been made? Uh, And Brazo didn't really give him a straight answer. Um, So, Chuck, looking at this with the board kind of suggesting that if he doesn't win the league this weekend, uh, he's fired. Do you think that there is any pressure on Nico Kovac at all, or do you think this is all smoke that they're blowing, or do you think it's like red meat that they're throwing to the fan base? I, I mean, I, I'm I've been one of those people that's uh, you know I, I've I've been on the Kovac bandwagon a bit. I don't think he's had a superb season. I think he's been very good, but I, I do feel like. You said, Jake, the front office has been wishy-washy about making a commitment. 
And that is, uh, it's tough on a coach to have to simultaneously prepare for a game, uh, try and win the league, and also have, you know, one eye on your future. Um, I do kind of feel like if if Bayern does not win this game or if they earn a draw and, and Dortmund wins and, and subsequently Bayern loses the league, I think, basically, I just think the front office is looking for a reason at this point. That's the way it feels to me. I'm not even sure they're fully aligned. Um, there could be different segments of the front office that just don't agree on the level of commitment that Bayern as an organization has to Kovac. Um, it's very interesting to watch this develop. And just over the last few weeks, how you know, it's kind of been up and down. Like one day it feels like Kovac is here for at least another year or two. And, you know, maybe the next day it feels like he's under dire pressure to win the next game. So um, I just do kind of feel like that this is probably a make or break game for him. And if he fails, he is probably done. And I think another thing to point out is that with a club like Bayern Munich, the expectation is that titles will come. But in this case, right, Kovac has only been given one season. He's not been given a transfer window to really bring in any players that he wants. And if he gets fired, I personally think that's a little bit unfair to him. But if you're any of the managers that have been linked to Bayern Munich, like if you're Tuch- if you're Thomas Tuchel or if you're Eric Ten Hag, um, do you look at this situation and think like if I'm offered the Bayern Munich post, given what they've done with Nico Kovac, do you think that any of those coaches would give it like a strong second guessing, basing on how the board has um, gone about their decision to keep Kovac this year? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, when I look at those two coaches in particular, when you look at Tuchel, uh, he's a narcissist. He's a brilliant mind for soccer, but he he also could probably never envision himself running into these types of issues at Bayern. So, I don't think it would come into any type of uh, you know negative factor for him to take the job. Ten Hag is. It's very interesting with him because. He has a very distinct and aggressive style of play that he endorses as a coach. And that's something I think a lot of Bayern fans would like. I think the front office would be excited by it. But it really would be another situation where is he quite ready and does he feel ready? I mean, Ajax is a it's a big stage, but it it's not Bayern. And that that's a difference. You have to be experienced, ready, and you have to be able to handle the spotlight that you're constantly going to be under. And and maybe he'll be ready in a year. Maybe it'll be five years. It's really the level of confidence that he has in himself. And a lot of coaches are, I think, not like Tugel and are honest about their own ability and where they're at in their own career. And if his assessment of himself as he needs to prove himself at Ajax a little longer before he's ready... I think it would give him some hesitancy because once he makes that jump to Bayern, there probably is no going back. If he fails quickly at Bayern and doesn't, if he's not given that time, like Kovac has not been given, it could be kind Anytime. of a one and done scenario. Yeah. And, and that would be unfortunate for a, for a coach with such a seemingly bright future. 
Moving on to our next story, uh, it focuses on RB Leipzig and their hopes to uh, keep Timo Werner around uh, a little bit longer. You wrote this story, Chuck. Um, uh, hope the Red Bulls are hoping to keep Werner in Leipzig for a couple of reasons, uh, mostly because uh, Julian Nangelsman is coming in and they want to make sure that he has the best players available. And with Champions League football coming to Leipzig again, uh, there's that hope that Werner might be able to help them uh, help them shine, and there's a talk of an exit clause for leaving Leipzig to go to Bayern Munich, being put into Werner's new contract. So, do you think that any of these would persuade Werner to stay in Leipzig, or do you think that it's pretty? It seems that it's pretty set that he's gonna go to Munich this summer. I think it's it's essentially a done deal. It's just down to the transfer money at this point. Um, you know, it's been widely reported that Werner has agreed to terms, personal terms already with Bayern. He seems to have intimated several times in the past that he would like to play for Bayern. And some of the leaks that have been going on around him, whether it's from his camp or whether it's from people within the RB Leipzig organization, it just seems like he's set to make the move to Bayern. And it was a little surprising on my end. I wasn't really sure if Bayern was going to pursue Werner this summer. But he's had a great season. He can be dynamic at times. He's got great pace. He's physically strong. I think he can fill a couple of different roles. It's been you know leaked out of Byron's camp that they feel like Werner could play at either mostly at left wing striker or even behind Lewandowski. So if he's able to really fill those three roles as a substitute and as a part-time starter with getting regular minutes and regular time, I think he would be happy. I think it would, uh, you know, give Byron a lot of options, you know, and the ability to cover for some of the inevitable injuries that they're going to have next year. So I, I think he's headed to, I think he's headed to Bayern. I just think they need to work out the transfer terms. And I would guess right now, I mean, Bayern wants to pay 25 million euros. Leipzig wants 60. We're probably going to end up somewhere in the middle of that. I guess the only other problem would be that he would have to fight Hamas for that number 11 shirt. So, as we know, that would probably be a big deal breaker if if it came down to that. Uh, say just one very quick thing before we move to the next story. Say uh, hypothetically that somehow he is persuaded to stay in East Germany this summer. Who do you think that Bayern should go after as a backup striker or as a second striker for uh, for uh, Lewandowski? Keeping in mind that it's widely assumed that Luka Jovic to Real Madrid is going to be a done deal. Yeah, that's it's really a it's 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 a tough question because Bayern has placed a lot of emphasis on versatile players. So getting a straight number nine, you would either have to have a veteran backup who would accept a substitute role behind Lewandowski, maybe Claudio Pizarro. I mean, it's possible, I guess. Maybe Mario Gomez at the end of his career now. 
but if Byron s- sticks to that mantra of wanting a young, versatile, dynamic player, uh, it, it's going to be tough to find someone who who fits all who checks all of those boxes. And I think that's the reason they've been so drawn to Werner is they believe he can do all of those things. Where even you know, like you said, Luka Jovic, he is more of a straight number nine. So, um, you know, I guess if I had to pick a name, uh, someone that could kind of slide through all of those roles, I, I may go with Antti Rebic just because I know he can play out on the wing and he can play centrally as well. I know that a lot of people don't think he'd be a good fit at Bayern, but, you know, if you're going to put a gun to my head, that that would be my pick right now. Um, you know, he's a 25-year-old player, and I, I think that, you know, he's probably not quite as young as they would like, but that would be who I would say. I would agree with that point. Uh, Ante Rebic would probably be the one who I would go with as well. Uh, moving on to our final story, and it's a little bit more of a lighthearted, closer-to-home kind of story. Uh, Bayern Munich's young center back Chris Richards has been selected to the U.S. U-20 World Cup roster. Uh, the U-20 World Cup is taking place this summer in Poland, and it starts at the very end of May. It starts in about 10 days. Uh, The U.S. would be playing Ukraine, Nigeria, and Qatar in their group stage. The other big name in this uh, group would be PSG's uh, Loney Tim Weah. That would really be the only uh, major name I'm looking at the roster right now. Uh, Yeah, I would say only Chris Richards and Tim Weah really jump off of the page. Uh, it's a really good opportunity for uh, Richards. He's only really been playing uh, with the U23 team. Chuck, you followed Chris Richards a little bit for uh, the squad, conducted a bunch of interviews. What do you think this move means for Richards and his career? And second, do you think he's going to be able to make an impact with the youth national team in Poland this summer? Yeah, I, I think this is this is great for Chris in his career. Um, I got to know his family a little bit. I talked extensively with his with his mom, Carrie. And he, the one thing you have to understand about Chris is that he did not take the conventional path to get where he is. Uh, he truly is a player who had to earn everything that he got. He didn't grow up in a soccer hotbed. He didn't go through the normal um, club soccer to development academy type road that a lot of kids get to take now. He had to travel to get to a DA. And, you know, I think this is an excellent opportunity. He's really going to show the U.S. fans what he can do. I know that he opened a lot of eyes, I guess, back in March when he uh, went through his last call up. But he's a dynamic talent. He's got good size. He uh, has good passing ability. And he's got great vision. I think that this is really going to be a breakthrough uh, really time for him. And I'm expecting big things from him. Uh, This is a pretty talented team. Uh, They've got a couple of players that are uh, affiliated with the Philadelphia Union. So I am kind of familiar with them as well. But... I will definitely be keeping my eye on Chris Richards and just following his progress. And I think this will give the Byron fans a really good opportunity to see what he can do against some of his peers uh, who are also among the best in the world at their age. So this is really exciting. And I think that uh, it just shows the kind of depth that Byron has at center back. I mean, 
you know, this is a kid who, you know, at most other clubs would probably be a little closer to breaking through. But at Bayern, there's such great depth and such good veterans that, you know, he, he's been on the U19 team most of the year. So this is a great opportunity for him. I'm expecting a lot. So for those that didn't even know, there was a U23 World Cup, or excuse me, a U20 World Cup this summer, like myself, uh, now you know. And if you don't have a team to follow, well, now you do. You have a young Bayern player who's trying to make a name for himself, both in America and on the world stage. And maybe after a really good performance this summer, he might be able to advance a little higher in the Bayern system. And maybe he... Fingers crossed, if all goes well, maybe he breaks into the first team later on next year. Uh, wishing Chris all the best of luck. Uh, wishing the U.S. team all the best of luck. Once again, that competition starts May 23rd. The U.S.'s first game is against Ukraine on May 24th. And with that, we are going to go ahead and move on to our next segment after this break. Welcome back. Uh, now we have one more thing to cover before we go, and it concerns the big summer that's about to hit Bavaria. Since the beginning of the season, all eyes have been set on this summer as a big opportunity to bring in new talent for the club, with some estimates being as high as 200 million euros that Bayern will spend this summer, there are no shortages of transfer rumors surrounding the Allianz Arena. One of the key areas of focus is on the attack, and there are four names on the minds of fans of the German champions. With it almost certain that Luka Jovic is off to Real Madrid, the four players making the headlines in the transfer rumor mill are Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi, Fiorentina's Federico Chiesa, Eintracht's Ante Rebic, and Lille's Nicolas Pepe. We're going to break down each of the players in their respective competitions, starting with Hudson-Odoi. The 18-year-old English prodigy has been tapped as the next great British winger, with some saying his abilities are better than his countryman, Jadon Sancho. Given his age, there aren't many stats to back up the value of a young talent that had been linked to Bayern since this winter transfer window. That will hurt him in his comparison between the other three. However, in the games he's played in, his impact is clear. He's bagged four goals and two assists in Chelsea's Europa League campaign, which has seen them go all the way to the final to play Arsenal. And he's the squad's joint second-highest goal scorer with Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Pedro. He's only managed one assist across 10 EPL appearances, but given that his appearances were infrequent thanks to manager Maurizio Sarri, one can't blame him for not being at the top of his game when he's being called up infrequently. He's dealing with an Achilles tendon problem currently, but from all accounts, he's recovering ahead of schedule. Moving now to Chiesa, the 21-year-old Italian has made an impact for his club in all competitions as well. He's Fiorentina's highest goal scorer in all competitions this season with 12 and led La Viola to the semifinals of the Coppa Italia as the second highest scorer in the cup. 
He's bagged six goals and three assists in Fiorentina's mediocre Serie A campaign, which sees them at 11th right now, but that's not to take away from the kid's ability on the pitch. It's also important to note that he performed a little bit better in the league last season with a couple more assists and a better pass percentage. If brought to Munich, he will definitely make an impact on the team. Now, the oldest player in this group is Ante Rebic at 25. After an amazing World Cup with Croatia, many thought that Ante Rebic would fire to the top of the Bundesliga this year. That wasn't the case, but he still contributed to Eintracht's season, scoring 10 goals across all competitions. He's taken a back seat to Luka Jovic, but Rebic has shown his ability to perform at this stage, and he's familiar with Niko Kovac, who wanted desperately to bring Rebic in this past summer before the Bayern board told him that he couldn't. Finally, Nicolas Pepe. He's the player that I would want to bring in out of all of these four. The 23-year-old Ivory Coast international has quickly become the best player on Lille. He's their highest goal scorer this season, with 23 goals across all competitions, and has guaranteed the team a Champions League spot by bringing them up to second place in the league table. He has the second most assists in the league, and his 21 goals is the second best in France, behind 30 goals from a little-known striker by the name of Kylian Mbappe. Recent reports from Bild say that Bayern aren't considering him anymore, and if that's the case, I think the Bayern board is dead wrong. Pepe has also had a decent season last year, so he's not a one-season wonder, and out of all of the players on this list, Nicolas Pepe would probably get my endorsement. And with a price tag of only 60 million euros being floated around his name, he is very affordable. So please, Bayern, bring in one of these players this summer, but especially, at least in my opinion, bring in Nicolas Pepe. I think he's the one that would make the best impact on this Bayern team that really needs a shot of adrenaline to get the system up and running again. So that was before we go. Uh, Chuck, looking at those four players, who is the one that you personally would like to see coming to Munich? Those four players each have some some great characteristics to their respective games. Uh, you talked a lot about Pepe, and I think that you know he brings some of that proven goal scoring, but he's probably not the player I would go with, even though there's been the reports of you know his value being at around sixty million euros. I think this is a this is a, this is a situation where they're going to want to capitalize on his success. And I think start a bidding war for him. So I'm not comfortable spending much more than 45 or 50 million for him. And that's probably not going to get the deal done. Uh, otherwise, I, I look at Chiesa and how creative he's been. Um, I love Rebic's toughness. I love the fire and intensity that he brings. I love his versatility. But if I had to pick one of those four, I'd probably opt for Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi. And even with his uh, torn Achilles, I think he's got the highest upside. Uh, it's at least been rumored that he wants to play for Bayern. Um, in the little bit I've seen of him, uh, I've been impressed with how um, you know pacey and how dynamic his play has been. It looks like he can create a lot of offense. Like I said, I just feel like he's got the best upside of those four, but you know, I wouldn't be disappointed at any of them. I'd want this to be a smart kind of financial decision for Bayern. I think it's an area of need, but if they get Timo Werner, it probably lessens that a little bit because I'm one of those, I guess, weird people who believes that Timo can play out on the wing and be successful doing it. So, um, 
you know, Jake, I couldn't argue with you too much on Pepe. He's he's proven it more so than any of the other players on, on that list. But, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi for me is the man. Uh, Hudson-Odoi, out of all of those players, would probably be the second player that I would want to bring in. And he is very good. And I think that he's worth all of the money that is being floated around his name. My only problem would be that it's really uncertain whether or not Chelsea will sell him at this point. One, because they want to keep a good talent, but two, because they also have a transfer ban. And seeing as they are already losing Aiden Hazard this summer, they're going to need somebody to to replace Eden Hazard and Calm Hudson Adoy plays the exact same position as Eden Hazard and seeing as they're bringing in Christian Pulisic to play in on the right to replace an aging Pedro they might not want to switch Pedro over to the left so I think that while I do enjoy Hudson Adoy I think they'll probably do everything they can in their power to keep him this summer and Chelsea has even been slapped with this two-window transfer ban, so they won't be able to bring in any players to replace Hazard. So you see Hudson Doy, and he looks at this opportunity, and he says, "Well, I could go to Bayern Munich and struggle and compete with Alfonso Davies and Kingsley Coman to go ahead and try to break into the first team, or I can stay at Chelsea, where I'm almost guaranteed." a first team slot at my preferred position with Hazard gone. So as much as I think that Hudson Adoy is keen possibly on joining Bayern Munich, he might not want to risk the opportunity to get that quality playing time that he will get at Chelsea. Yeah, you know, that's that's an interest it's interesting because it would certainly have an effect on how they proceed to sell a, a talent like uh Hudson Adoy. I kind of have felt all along with the whole transfer saga and how this all leaked out that this was his opportunity to kind of, you know, uh, you know, draw a line in the sand. You're either going to use me or I'm going to leave. And I think the end goal for him all along was to stay with Chelsea, to get paid there and to have a long distinguished career in the Premier League. Um I don't think it would have been the worst option for him to go to Bayern. But as this whole thing has gone on, I, I do believe that while Bayern is extremely interested in that, while Hudson Odoi is probably somewhat interested in Bayern, this is a, this is a perfect opportunity for a player at his age to have a good negotiating tactic there to say like, Hey, if you don't want to use me, I have a world power club that would love to have me out on their wing. So it's really the best of both worlds, no matter what happens in this in this whole ordeal. Hudson Odoi is the clear winner. Very true. So that will be where we end this episode. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast, Varian Podcast Works. We will try to release these. I think every Wednesday is a good point for us to get the podcast out to everybody. So be sure to check back every Wednesday for these episodes. Um, please submit to us your questions that you would like to get read on this podcast using the hashtag AskBPW on Twitter. We wanted to use them, but we didn't see anybody uh, post to the website. 
So we would love for you to go ahead and try and do that so we can read your name and your questions out on air. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they follow you? You can get me at The Barrel Blog. And for all of your other phenomenal Bayern Munich content, be sure to head over to BavarianFootballWorks.com. From all of us here, thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Be sure, once again, to check in this upcoming Wednesday for the final Bundesliga podcast of the season and a preview of the Pokal final. So until next time, auf Wiedersehen.